and I just, I just couldn't have got through the summer without Joanna stepping up the way that she did. And uh, we were going to give her a, a bouquet of roses today, or a bouquet of flowers today, and say thank you, but she's sick. <laughs> so I'd like to, uh, one of the members of her beloved family, or more, to come up, and on behalf of Joanna, to receive uh, a, a blessing. And Sandra, if you could bring that for us. And uh, we just want to, we're going to give her, we're going to do it in person to her next Sunday. We're going to give her a thanks. But I just want to say that um, uh, we have now been able to hire a pastoral assistant administrator, Tay Kim, and uh, his beautiful family have joined us as a church. We're so grateful. But Joanna was just so key in helping us get through the summer to do this transition to, to the fall and uh, so we just want to say thank you. So uh, just while we're waiting, Sandra went tearing out of the room, so I don't, I think she heard that Joanna was sick. But we want to send this home to her. You know, we don't want to wait for a week, right, with flowers. You don't, I learned that as a guy after a few years. I learned that as a guy. You don't wait for a few weeks. So, um, and I just want to express thanks to, to the team, our leadership team who just came around her and Obviously, it couldn't happen without you as well. So, um, and you know, somebody can't make a commitment like this without their family being qu quite implicated in it. So, we're just so grateful to you guys for letting Joanna be that gift to us. She really was. So, what do we do now? Here, can I say a few words? Um, obviously, thank you on behalf of Joanna. Um, <laughs> However, words are super, super important to Joanna. And of course, as many of you know, Joanna was our assistant pastor years ago and had a complete, utter mental meltdown, um, which was not good. So it was really redemptive for her to be able to serve our body in this way without her brain melting down. But it's been a very emotional journey. So this would mean a really big deal to Joe if she were here right now. So just because this is happening now, can you please do this again next week? Because it's a big deal to her. Like it's like serious mental health redemption, like it's a big deal. And your words would actually, I mean, the flowers are amazing. Thank you, Sandra. It's bigger than your head. But, but even personally, like publicly is great, but even personally, your words to her would mean a lot. Thanks. Thanks, Wade. And, and is, there's a card in there for her? Okay, beautiful. Oh, Wade's got it already. So, Sandra, thank you for this. Wow. I mean, I think I now have a new florist. Amazing. So, yeah, just please give her our hugs and love, and we will, we will continue this blessing next Sunday. Yeah. Stretch limity. What is it? A stretch limousine? Stretch blessing. All right. So, Karen, get up here again and pray for me. So I now have 25, 20 minutes. So. Hmm. Lord, I know that Gordy um, speaks about what he knows. And he shared this morning that what he's talking about today is something he's been living. So I thank you for that. Thank you for our leader who's not afraid to, you know, walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Though he does both. <laughs> Bless him this morning and may 
we have ears to hear what you are saying to us. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Karen. See you later. <laughs> awesome. So to begin, I want to talk about a, a, an experience that happened to me when I was uh, maybe three or four. I don't know how many of you can remember back that far. But to help kind of really define what I, I, I want to get to today when we talk about sharpening our focus and what are the impediments to, to being focused people because we've, we've established that uh, this is awesome. <laughs> this is so awesome. That's great. Uh, that's what we're about, i tell you. And, um, but there's hindrances to focus, isn't it? We get something in our eye or something on our glasses. Uh, it happens to me when I jog in the rain. I lose my focus. And um, what I want to do is tell a story of one of the greatest hindrances to focus, I think, in our lives. And I want us to grapple with it today. It's not something that I have a formula to deal with it. But when I was a child, as many of you have heard, my dad was a church planter, and he would... He never received a cent for being a pastor all through my growing up years. He always worked full-time as a teacher. And then in his spare time, he would build our houses and churches. And, and often they were under construction while we were living in them. And uh, it was no different in this first church. It was in Vulcan, Alberta, which is the Star Trek, Star Trek capital of the world now. Did you know that? Vulcan, Alberta. I can't even do that. How do you do that? And it's true. They have a Star Trek convention uh, 60 miles out of Calgary every year, and people come from all over the world. It's a huge deal. <laughs> when I was a kid, we had three houses and 45 elevators. That's all we had. Anyway, um, or as Stephen Colbert would say, meanwhile, I used to watch rabbits go tearing across the field, and there was this big field behind our church and, um, and our home. It was our church home because Dad built kind of a parsonage, what we called a manse, in the basement of the church. This field was amazing. It was full of gopher holes. And I used to go back there and play. And um, there was this hedge that bordered the field, and it was made up of two rows of bushes that formed a natural tunnel. Amazing for a kid. So I used to play in this tunnel, this, this hedge, but one day they started doing some construction in the field. They must have got a contract and they were starting to do some development and build some houses in it. But the, the hedge was still intact and I used to go up and down and play. And one day I saw a dump truck and I'd been quite familiar with dump trucks coming into the, the field and doing their thing and tractors. But this dump truck I noticed was, was kind of parallel to the hedge. And all of a sudden when it got right exactly with me, it turned right towards me. And I, I'll never forget the, sh the sheer terror I felt as that truck was coming towards me. And I took off down that hedge, and I went back in our, our man's down into the basement. I think I went under a bed somewhere, and I just, I just hit. And to this day, I, the feeling was so strong what I felt. felt. It wasn't that the truck was going to going to run me over or anything like that. The feeling was I'd done something wrong. 
But I, for the life of me, I didn't know what it was. There was something wrong with me. And I tell this story because it identifies a feeling. It's so strong in my early childhood. It's, it identifies a feeling that I've struggled with through most of my life, as most of us do, and it's a feeling like there's an essential flaw in me, an inadequacy, a lack of what the sanctuary video called enoughness. Just, I'm just not enough. And it would, it would lurk beneath the surface, and it would jump out at me like in grade 7, when I was cut from the grade 7 junior high basketball, not the grade 7, the junior high basketball team in Alberta, and this vow that I took, I would never let that happen again. Because this feeling was so painful. It had, it had everything to do with belonging and connection and relationship. And I vowed I would never let that happen to me again. And I was so driven. And it carried on into my ministry years. And it... That feeling came back during a severe ministry burnout at the age of 30 where I felt like no matter what I did, it was never enough. I wanted, and I was driven by this feeling to, 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 to succeed, and, and, and I did. We did well, but, the, but it was never enough. And I felt like I was falling into hell, convinced that I'd committed the unpardonable sin, but for the life of me, I didn't know what it was because of this inadequacy. I'd like to identify this feeling as shame. We don't talk about shame a lot because it's so painful. The feeling of shame is so painful because it has everything to do with relationship, connection, and belonging. And I would like to define it as a sense of feeling that I'm not enough with huge implications I think one of the best descriptions of shame I've ever read is by Brene Brown, who says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love, belonging, and connection. Now, this is precarious because in our Christian theology, a lot of this works into what we, how we see people and how we talk about people. In a lot of our theology, in religious homes, kids are raised to believe that they're essentially and innately bad and flawed. And I'm not convinced that wasn't part of the factor for me. And we are hardwired for relationship, connection, and belonging. And this is one of the greatest threats to that. And so we will do everything in our power to fight it, to hide it, to put a shell around us. Now, shame is so root, deeply rooted in our core of our human condition, and it's so painful that we, we, we don't even like to name it. We don't even like to talk about it. Contrasted to guilt, now we talked about guilt, didn't we? Did we already talk about guilt today? Do you remember? Anybody remember where? It was our first reading, wasn't it? Yeah, the psalm. Now, that's guilt. Now, guilt is when you did something wrong, and the, the, the beautiful thing is you can do something about it. You can confess it, repent. You can make things right, whatever you need to do, but shame, there's nothing you can do. Nothing you can do about it. It's just this essential feeling of flaw, not enough, inadequate. Can I be honest with you? It still affects me to this day. 
It affected me this morning. We pr they prayed for me. It affected me today. I haven't prepared enough. I haven't worked hard enough. I haven't been loving enough or whatever, blah, blah, blah. So here's a good theological question for you. This has really been on me this week, this question. Did Jesus experience shame? Think about it. I think one of the reasons as Christians we, fi we find it hard to name shame is we can't believe that Jesus has any clue of what shame means or is about, that he didn't experience it. But I would like to argue that he did. And here's why. First of all, let's go back to the fall. A lot of us know that shame came to Adam and Eve after they sinned, right? Because it says that we were naked and ashamed and we ran and we hid. Because that's what shame does. It causes you to hide from others and from God. That's the, that's the painful thing about shame. Is it cuts you off of relationship with God and others. And that's what they did. I would like to argue the shame started before they sinned. Now, I don't have black and white words in the, in the Genesis story, but what did the serpent do? Look at you. Look at you, pathetic people. You could be God. It's not enough to be who you are. Just take, take and you'll be like God. You'll, see, you'll be able to see like God sees. You'll be able to think like God thinks. Don't stay in your limits. Get that? So Eve kind of goes, yeah. And, and, and of course, along with that is a, is, a, is a portrayal of God that's not good, that God's keeping something from you, right? So often it's connected to our view of God. So then fast forward to the second Adam, because Jesus is called that, isn't he? In fact, when, when Jesus calls himself the son of man in some of the older translations, you know what he's saying? The human one. Jesus came to show us what it was to be human. So I don't know, you know, we don't know a lot about what happened to him when he was a child, but we know that when he was in the wilderness being tempted, that that same rasping serpent's voice through the enemy came to him and said, look, you know, he'd been fasting and praying for 40 days. He's weak. He's hungry. And the serpent comes up to him, and if, if I could paraphrase, says to him, look at you, you pathetic, you're the Messiah, you pathetic little thing. Come on, do a sign, do a wonder, get up on the temple and jump off and let's impress somebody. Let's be a real Messiah. Be more than who you are. Don't embrace your limits. You got to be a real Messiah. Let's be a Rambo for God. Some of you are too young to know who Rambo is. Um... So, so he, he and, and this, I think, didn't just happen in Jesus' temptation. I think it came back and bit him several times. You know, turn that stone into bread, jump off the temple. But then later on, it's like, heal somebody, put it on Facebook, and you'll get a million likes. Narcissism, Brown goes on to say, is the shame-based fear of being ordinary. And I want to say that again. Narcissism is the shame-based fear of being ordinary. 
Often we think grandiosity, bluster, and arrogance are about an overinflated ego, but it's actually usually the opposite. Usually those kinds of behaviors are a cover for deep-seated shame and inadequacy where we feel like we're not enough and we got to do something about it. So I'd like to argue that this temptation came in our text that I want to look at again. We talked about this last week. We looked at this. So I want to start with this because we, we're gonna, our text today is actually the next passage. But this has to do with it. I think that the temptation to shame came to Jesus again here. And I want to just kind of unpack that a bit. So again, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, so far, so good. Compassion, he's ministering, it's, it's going well. But he sees this need and he names the need. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Or to paraphrase, there's a lot of care needed, but not a lot of caregivers available. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus was confronted with something that all caregivers, and as followers of Jesus, our vocation is compassion. However that looks in our, through our unique gifts and passions, we're called to compassion. But as I said last week, there's this primary occupational hazard to compassion. And that is you're confronted very quickly with your limits. That no matter how gifted you are, or talented you are, or energetic you are, or even anointed you are, if you're a Pentecostal, <laughs> or Italian, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you cannot meet every need. You cannot be lovingly present to everyone. You cannot care for everyone. And that may seem so elementary, but when you're actually confronted with that in real time, shame can really kick in and make, make it very painful. And so at that point, when we're confronted with our limits, we have this choice. We can find a way to embrace our limits and come to terms with that, or we'll deny our limits, end up overextending ourselves, and then try to give something we don't have, try to be someone that we are not. And, you know, as that in incompleted movie title goes, something, something's got to give. You know the story behind that? Something's got to give. Have you heard that story behind it? It never was completed. It was a movie that was developed with Marilyn Monroe in the early 60s. And because of her issues, they weren't able to finish the movie. So it's actually quite ironic. So how did Jesus embrace his limits? So the, the, the rasping voice of the enemy is taunting him. See, I told you you didn't have what it takes. Look at the need. You don't, you'll never be enough. What kind of Messiah are you? So what does Jesus do? Does he cover it up? Does he put a shell around himself? Does he muster up the troops and say, hey, guys, we can do this. I'm a leader. Let's, 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 take, this, let's take this harvest. No. He looks to them the ones who were looking to him for leadership, and he goes to them, he says to them, I can't do this. I can't. I'm not enough for this. I love that. Harvest is plenteous. Workers are few. I'm not enough. 
So instead of denying his, his shame, denying his limits, he states them. He names them. And then he asks them to pray with him. Can you pray with me? He became vulnerable. He named the limitations. And he asked for help. I call this shame resilience. Not just me. Others have, have called this. I love the term resilience. Resilience is the power or ability to bend but not break. It's the power or ability to stretch like an elastic but not snap. It's the power to be compressed but not collapse. So my point in saying that is shame happens. It's part of who we are, our human condition, our limitation. But resilience is how do we respond to that? And the answer is vulnerability in community. He invites his disciples to be for help. He actually asks them for help. I mean, he's the leader, but he asks them for help. I love that last Sunday we had Murphy's Law issues with our video uh, last Sunday, and Sophia was on. I just loved it. She came over here. Joanna and I were standing, and she, she came up and said, you know, it's really, it's really, I don't know what her wording was quite exactly, but she said, it's really gone south here. It's gone sideways. I really need prayer. So we just stopped. We just prayed. Such an awesome, beautiful action of vulnerability. And what you do when, you know, there's, we hit our limits. Do you know what, can I tell you the most, I'll say one of the most, powerful experiences I've ever experienced of church in the city of Vancouver. Can I tell you? One day I went with one of my loved ones and we attended a 12-step group in the downtown east side. Right in the heart of it all. I mean, there was stuff going on outside. And my loved one and I, we sat and I just watched one person after another just share so vulnerably and honestly and powerfully, and shame just took a punch in man, because it was just all brought out. And I saw the power of shame resiliency through vulnerability. We are physically and cognitively hardwired for love and belonging, and shame is the fear of losing that. But the irony is that when we hide, when we try to put a shell around our shame, we become more disconnected, and the only way back is through vulnerability. And it drives us from community. So in our text today, Jesus, it says he called his 12 disciples to him. And I want to talk about three relational movements in vulnerability uh, to do with shame and, and helping us find our focus. It says he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And what's that English mark there, honey? My English teacher. Semicolon. It's a semicolon. Now, I'd never. Do you ever say to God, when did you put that in the Bible? I've never seen this before. So what I did was I cheated, and I put the and in italics. I want you to look at this. Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew, semicolon. 
James, son of Zebedee, comma, and his brother John, semicolon. Philip and Bartholomew, semicolon. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Just saying. Who's writing it? Matthew. This is his story, right? Semicolon. James, son of Alphaeus. Just saying. You know, you know Alphaeus. Yeah. It's his son. Comma. And Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot. And Judas Iscariot. Comma. Who betrayed him. Just saying. I, I've never seen this before. You see what's happening? They paired him. He paired them. Now, I'm running out of time, but I'm going to say this. They did a study of co corporations and companies across North America with studying burnout and fatigue. And you know what they found the number one cause of fatigue was? You'd think it would be hard work and you know, little margins and overwork. The number one reason was loneliness. Loneliness. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus says, if, if you're going to stay focused and, and, and sustainable, then don't let shame take you out of community. So these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Now I love, I, this is focus here, folks. This is focus. He first, the first few instructions is what you don't do. Don't go among the Gentiles. Don't go. We know later it happened, but not right now. Don't go in any town of the Samaritan. Go rather to the lost sheep. Focus. Do you see the focus coming through there? This, you can be free to not minister to everybody. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. You give only what you got. That's sustainability. Freely you've received, freely give. You can't give what you don't got. Sorry about the English, honey. The good news of Christ. So three relational movements. The first is towards God. God calls us into relationship. It's about knowing um, it's, it's in one translation it says Jesus called them to himself to be with him did you know God doesn't want to use you don't use that language we don't use that about people my wife wants to use me my husband wants, that's, that's perverted that's twisted why do we say that about God God loves you hey I had a, we had a sleepover with Alina. She's my youngest granddaughter. And she, every time we have supper or we see them, she always whispers in my ear, when's the next sleepover? <laughs> She's about seven now. And so we, had, we, we went over for supper, had a housewarming at their new house in Burnaby on uh, Friday, and she came back home with us, and we had some stories and we sang some songs, and we prayed, and we tucked her in, and then in the morning, as soon as she got up, which is still quite early, we had more stories, we had frosted flakes, um, we went for a cat tour, 
There's Larry. There's Banana. There's Saxton in our neighborhood. So we went, did pastoral visit to the cats in the neighborhood. And we looked at flowers and we swung on swings and about, and then I tried to help her fix her hair for ballet and let's just say mom had to come and clean that mess up when she arrived. So she picked her up at 10.30 for ballet and we had a big hug. And when she left, I just went, I, I felt so inadequate, so inadequate. You know, you're just there, you're just being present, you're just, when she left, I just said this, oh, wow, there's nothing like this. And I thought about how God, I wasn't thinking about, well, maybe she could help me work on the garden. You know, did she, I thought about how God sees us, just wants to be with us. It's his harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's in charge. And he gives us the privilege to be a part of it. But it's about relationship. And yes, there is that partnering with him, but it's his initiative and, and, and it flows out of that relationship. And there's times, there was times this week where I would just walk through our neighborhood and you know, when the rain comes like it's coming, did you notice? Um, there's these fragrances and smells and and I was praying at the same time, walking through the neighborhood, and it felt like I was taking in the fragrances. It felt like the Holy Spirit was just going, it was just like this, you know, this. And the disciples, it says as they were with him, it says he gave them authority. One time I was sitting on a beach and just in prayer like that, and this woman walks by. This was in Deep Cove. I was at the Cape Park. I don't forget the name of the First Nations name, but she, she walked by. She stopped about a 50 meters beyond, and she turned around she came running back to me. She says, you have this incredible aura over you. And uh, so I had to explain. She left quickly, but that was good. Um, you know, I don't think we realize the kind of authority that just comes from being with Jesus. Just being with Jesus. So... The second movement is towards one another in community. Easier said than done, of course. But one of the reasons is the porcupine factor. You know, we kind of we have this longing for community, but then we're, we find out that people are kind of pokey. And as we get close, we get poked. And so they said that we then run out into the, the dark and freeze to death alone, right? That's kind of what the human condition is. But we find that even though it's painful and sometimes there's Judases in our, in our midst and sometimes we get betrayed. Hey, you know what the risk of community is? It's not that you might be betrayed. You will be. <laughs> Have a good day. It's been good being together with you. The gospel of Christ, right? And then finally, a movement towards the world and still in vulnerability. I don't have to be this arrived person in my neighborhood. But he said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come. Just say it's an already not yet. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those of leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, freely give. Don't give what you don't have, give what you do have. 
There's so much over this summer that I just felt the Spirit has been giving me, reminding me of the loaves and fishes. It seems like God always has to have raw material to work with. He doesn't care how little it is. He doesn't care how insignificant it feels. It's just that little rotten, well, not rotten, but hopefully. But it's that smelly fish and bread. And remember in the Old Testament with Elisha, you know, that woman said, I'm in debt, my husband died, and we're going to get sold into slavery. And Elisha said, what's in your house? God says, what's in your house? What do you have? I will take it. I will bless it. I will multiply it. Give what you've got, not what you don't have. I was doing a prayer walk through the neighborhood on, on Wednesday and as I'm coming down, often in my prayer work, I end up coming down to Hastings to fill it off, to finish it off. And there's all kinds of panhandlers. And, and I was praying for the church. And I was praying for you guys. And I, I pray for you by name. If you're part of our church and our director, I pray for you by name regularly. And as I, I pray in tongues often because I don't know what to pray for. And if God gives me interpretation, great. And sometimes I feel like it's kind of gossipy. So I said, Lord, can I have the interpretation for that? But he doesn't give it to me. So I'm praying, and, and every time I just felt, oh, I should pray more. Every time I had to move on, I felt, oh. It was hard. And then the panhandler started asking me for money, and I, and I smiled. I caught the eye, eye of one guy. I smiled and, and moved on. And, and, and that scripture said, give to those who ask of you. Again, I felt shame. I felt like I hadn't done enough. But the Spirit said you gave to him. I didn't say give to those who ask of you what they ask you to give them. I said give them. Peter and John didn't give what the lame man asked for. They gave what they had. Silver and gold I have, but what I have, give I you. And I can give humanity. I was shopping at Safeway on Friday, and, and there was this panhandler right at, right at the gate, right at the entrance. And, and I, I put my buggy in, and I took the quarter, and, and I usually don't give out cash, but I just took the quarter, it's just a quarter, and I popped it in his hand, and something powerful happened when I touched his hand. Just, I, could, I just felt the Holy Spirit, it was the touch. You give what you have, you give humanity, you give dignity, you give eye contact, you say you're human, you take the inhumanity out of people, that's our mission. Everybody matters to God, everybody One more illustration, and then we'll wrap her up here. So you all heard that we had to move all our stuff out of our house into a pod and take it, you know, renovations were done over the summertime, and then we had to take it out of the pod and put it back. But a lot of the small stuff, the books, the boxes, the files, the trinkets, the bric-a-brac, all that stuff is in boxes in our garage, and it's still there. And Kathleen and I are feeling like, maybe just, you know, we're not really missing it that much. Let's just send it all to the Goodwill, you know, recycling. We won't miss very much, you know. So I think a lot of that is going to happen. But there is some stuff, like this week I had to unpack a box of files because Revenue Canada wanted to do a little audit on me, so I needed some files and some copies, and I sent it off, got it done, it was good. But it was, it was amazing, it, it, this experience of taking one box out of, like, I'm talking millions of boxes. Okay. <laughs> it's just like boxes in that garage. And I took one box, opened it up, 
And I remember saying, oh, one box. I have so much that's undone. And the Lord said, but you open this box. That's all I asked you to do today. And I think, I think my garage is a picture of the world. It's a mess. There's a lot of boxes. But just, you can't open all the boxes today, but you can open one. You can't love every child in the world, but you can love one. Can you live with that? So our focus, um, I want to talk about this as a church, because it's true for us as a church. And Kirsten sent us a little, uh, uh, if you notice, we got a new website up. And big thanks to Kirsten, who really initiated that over the summer. And, and we're going we're gonna to continue to de develop, but we're trying to come up with a, a logo. And so we have an artist who's working on a new logo for us. And... Uh, she sent us out a set of questions to design our church brand. It's kind of a church brand guide questionnaire for our logo. And I, at first I thought, oh, man, I looked at it. It was like all oh, these questions. Oh, gosh, this is all I need. And, but I started doing it. It was exhilarating. It was questions like this. Why was our church created? What is our mission? Rank your target audience. How would you want to be perceived by that audience? What are your three most important goals? What is unique about your church? In other words, what do you do? This, this was embarrassing. This shame started. To, she asked, what do you do better than any other church? I thought, oh, geez. <laughs> now, and I want you, I'm going to send that questionnaire out to you. I want to hear from you. I could give you all the answers today. I want you to know it was exhilarating. It was like surfing on a wave. Thanks, Kirsten. I mean, it was amazing. I'm serious. I just felt this fire hose come through me. And I was just writing. And, you know, what do you do? Oh, yeah. Ooh. It's just like it all came back to me. It was amazing. It's it just focused questions. So watch for that. I'm going to send it out. But... The point is, is, is that the, the questionnaire helped me not lament what we're not. I was able to see who we are. And it was, it was exhilarating. I was so proud of you guys, of all of us, of what God has done. So our focus is sharpened as we come to terms with our limits by overcoming shame through vulnerability in a community of love, acceptance, and grace. So for reflection, just invite you to just uh, into maybe just uh, some silence for a moment. And I want you to, you know, the story of the dump truck, name some events or circumstances in your life where you've experienced shame. And how has this affected your capacity to be open and vulnerable in community? You know, it may have been something you did wrong, and, and, you know, there's forgiveness and cleansing for that, but the shame can continue, can't it? Could be you're fired from a job. Maybe something goes wrong with one of your kids and you feel inadequate as a parent. Could be a temptation you feel. 
how does it make you feel like you want to hide? How have you hid? What kind of shell have you formed around your heart? And then what might God's invitation be to you on vulnerability and community in this season of your life? And I know that's a journey. It's a process. It's not like you just spill everything in one setting. Or... But it's, it's an invitation to taking steps, knowing that this is the way, not away from, but towards community, towards and, and by the way, God has to be the center of this. The world is trying to figure a lot of this stuff out without God. But God is the source of our love. We love because we're first loved by God. As revealed to us in the cross and what Jesus did for us. Which theologians, by the way, still can't figure out. But we know that he loved us. And finally... When you, when you think about this phrase, bring who you are, who, not who you're not, what comes to mind for you as you were hearing those words today? And again, I just really would encourage you to um, take time with that. Journal if you have to. Talk to a friend. Get someone to pray for you. But I had an opportunity to practice this this morning because often these shame things hit me the worst just before I'm going to preach on a Sunday, just before a service. All of a sudden, it's just like I get reminded of everything I didn't get done this week and how I could have done something better and how I could have prepared more. And you teachers ever experienced that? Huh? And it was so cool just to sit with Karen and Stephen and Tay and just name it. It was so powerful. Just name it. You just knock that sucker right out. Shame resilience. Will I have it again? Of course I will. It's the human condition, but it's what you do with it. If we walk in the light. I love that verse in John. It doesn't say, if we have no sin, we have fellowship. He doesn't say that. He says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. One with another. We have, and that word fellowship, don't, that's not coffee at the back. It can include that. But fellowship is like the most amazing thing. It is connection. It is belonging. It is being loved and giving love in community. It's what we were born for, what we're wired for. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come to my dear sisters and brothers as we gather here today? And we're so grateful for the gift of love and life. And this is the best news in the world. And yet we're so broken and we so are so inadequate to live out this message. But Lord, we just say yes to your invitation to draw nigh. Come, Lord. But just where those points of shame, maybe there's, there's an, even a bit of a trigger for something today for you. Just know that you're loved. You're safe. Just let God enfold you.
his words, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. When the darkness holds, God is holding on. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. What's coming back to me is a memory. It was after I'd had my breakdown. And I fell, felt like I fell into hell. And I felt like I fell through all the human conditions, the worst sins that human beings could ever commit. It was like I went down, down, down beneath all of them to the deepest, darkest place. And it was like the worst hole in the universe, a black hole. And it had Gordy's name on it, Gordy Lagore. And it said, there's no hope for you. There's no hope. And I said to God, if you ever get me out of this, I will proclaim to my last breath that there's no such thing as no hope, that this works. And you know what? It took a while before I experienced it, but I know that as the song says, he reached down his hand for me. And when he did, he had to reach way down for me. And I found out that there's no depth, no heights, no, no mountain, no river too great that his love doesn't reach. His love doesn't reach. So I proclaim that to places of tombs and darkness and desolation and nighttime. I declare it today in Jesus' name. I speak hope. The kingdom is here. The reign of God is here. Just going to invite you all to stand with me. Some of you, you can wait. Some of you, you can't wait. For those of you that cannot, there is prayer available here today for you. You can come to the front. You can turn to a friend you trust. But whether you wait or whether it's today, make sure you bring this into the light. Bring it into community. Bring it. Uh, no secrets. No secrets. So may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship, yes, belonging, connection, love that comes from the Holy Spirit be yours as you follow Jesus today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. There's coffee at the back. I encourage you to stay and visit a while. Sign out will be in about five minutes. Uh, for kids, have a wonderful week.